Kia ora, I'm Simon Hampton. Welcome in to Kiwis Abroad on Sky Sport, where we take an in-depth look at the Kiwi athletes plying their trade around the world. Well, he's not an athlete anymore, but Sean Marks remains one of the most impressive New Zealand sports people, having turned the Brooklyn Nets into one of the top NBA teams. A little later on, Alex Schieffer from The Athletic will join me to provide some insight into Mark's work as the general manager in Brooklyn. But first, it was one of the sporting moments of 2018 when Zoe Sadowski-Sinnott, just a 15-year-old at the time, picked up a bronze medal at the 2018 Winter Olympics. Now, she's a little over a year away from hopefully doing the same at the 2022 Games in Beijing. Uh, but first, she's competing in the Winter Game, the, the Winter X Games, I should say, in Aspen, Colorado this weekend. A few days ago, Zoe joined me on Kiwis Abroad, and I began by asking her just where she is at the moment. Uh, I'm currently in Aspen, Colorado, just arrived from Larks because got uh, X Games coming up this week. You excited for the X Games? Yeah, I'm pretty excited. It's uh, the biggest comp of my season, so yeah, I've been preparing all uh, New Zealand season and then the last few weeks over here um, for this comp, so yeah. And a, and a silver medal at the Larks Open. Uh, how did you think your, your form went there? Um, yeah, I just competed in the Larks Open and I thought I competed pretty well. Like my goal for the comp was to uh, put down a few more tricks that I'd learnt in New Zealand over the season um, and managed to do that. Sadly, the... Speed wasn't there in the first runs because it was really windy. And then going into second runs, the speed changed to really fast and I couldn't put down uh, my my banger run. run. So I like put down my backup run first run and then, yeah, I couldn't step it up second. So, yeah, I'm really stoked to finish on the podium. I wish I could have shown a bit more of what I had um, in that second run. But, yeah, it's just a good way to come into X Games. Yeah, so you, you you know you're defending your gold medal at the X Games. So do you feel like you're in the right space to do that? Um, I'm not actually defending my gold medal because I uh, I got the gold medal two years ago, and then last year I finished in fifth in slope style and then fourth in big air, and so yeah, I've got a lot um, a lot of work to do this week to prepare for the actual competition, just in practice and stuff and learning the course, but. Yeah, um, yeah. I've really, after not finishing on the podium last year, it really fueled me to work a lot harder, and so I can get on the podium coming this year. And this uh, one of these new tricks that you pulled off uh, in Switzerland: uh, a board slide to four fifty under flip to pole jam. Is that that right? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we call it just a board slide under flip. Out, but yeah, I, I, I assumed there must be a quicker way of um of getting yeah. that trick out. Yeah, yeah. So I learned that in New Zealand um this past season while we had pretty much private resort just with uh domestic tourism only. So yeah, that was pretty amazing. And then yeah, I've got a few tricks that I was able to put together over the New Zealand season and put them in that run. So. Yeah, it felt pretty amazing to do that. And then I've got more to come for X Games that, yeah, slowly this season just ticking off goals. Yeah. What 
what is the process when you dream up a new track to to perform? What's the, what's sort of the process from from it being an idea to it being executed in a in an event? Yeah, so um, at the end of every season, really, you kind of take a look back at the season and look at where you could have done better and um, look at where you could improve on those certain features and stuff like that. So that's what I did coming into the New Zealand season. And then we were like, what kind of features, yeah, are going to be popping up in Slope Styles and that, like, definitely need room for improvement. Um, So, yeah, and then... After that, just we spent a lot of time with uh, the Kadrona Park crew in New Zealand for them to help us put together the features firstly and then to be able to session them, especially with good weather days. And so, yeah, had a few sessions over the New Zealand season where we were able to do that. We had like a, a pole jam set up where I was learning a bunch of 450s out along with the rest of the New Zealand slope style um, team. And then um, towards the end of the season, we uh, built a, a quarter pipe feature. It's like a quarter pipe to landing, and they've started popping up in slope style courses over the last four years, but now it's become a staple feature. You can't choose whether you hit the jump or the quarter. And so I knew that I had to um, learn some new stuff on that. So, yeah, um, while in November, usually we um, there's no snow left up the mountain, but we just compiled it into this like this area where we just had this one feature and we were training it. Um, and I learned how to cab double nine out of it, and I was the first girl to do that. And so, yeah, my goal for this season is to get that trick into a slope style run. How far away do you think you are? Um, it's hard to say really because it depends at the competition whether how much practice we're going to get and if it fits into the run firstly because you need to be able to link a trick in and a trick trick out so yeah gonna have to wait and see but um yeah it all comes down to just doing it really and then um being able to land it when it counts so yeah I guess you get to a point where you practice it so much that you're pretty comfortable, but I imagine you still have quite a few nerves when you're going into an event and and potentially pulling it out for the first time. Yeah, for sure, especially after taking a break between seasons. There definitely comes some nerves with um, putting down the tricks that you've learnt towards the back end of the season and then have to put it down on winter snow instead of the slushy snow you learnt it on. Um, But then for us... um, like the main thing is being able to have that uh, consistency and then the repetition on tricks, which is hard because um, it all comes down to weather and everything. Like it's a pretty weather-dependent sport and, yeah, being able to, like, get those that repetition on those tricks is pretty hard. But, um, yeah, it all comes with a lot of time and work. So, yeah. Obviously, tourism is so big to you know the New Zealand winter sports scene um, down in Queenstown and Wanaka. But um, this past winter, as you, as you touched on, with, with really only domestic tourists coming in, was it easier to to practice on the slopes when, when the crowds were away and, and the slopes were a lot quieter? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Like um, the slopes weren't actually that much quieter. Like the mountain itself, it was amazing to see how many New Zealanders came out to 
have their holidays in the snow. Like I've never seen that many Kiwis up the hill um, over a season before. But um, for us in the park at Kadrona, it was definitely like a huge um, difference to any other season because really we were the only ones hitting the park besides, um, I guess, the people who were learning more um, were on the mini park. So pretty much all season we'd have a private park as well as um, it wouldn't get trashed as fast. Like, um, like usually any other season you'd have a rake. So they rake the jumps at like 10 a.m., an hour after the park opens and all the rail features, but they, it could last until midday just because the traffic on the course wasn't as bad. So, yeah, it was actually like such a beneficial and amazing season for us down there. Yeah, a bit, and, and you know, further to this, you're you're one of the rare people that that's travelling the world at the moment in in the middle of a pandemic. How how bizarre is it to be, you know, travelling across to Europe and, and across to America now? Um, yeah, it's pretty bizarre. Leaving New Zealand was definitely uh, a hard thing to do, and I was scared. But um, yeah, once we got on the plane and everyone was masked up and had spaces between um, everyone sitting on the plane. It didn't feel too bad. And then, yeah, we arrived in Austria on the 29th of December and the country was in lockdown. So really all we were doing was um, snowboarding during the day and then come back at night and just do our gym sessions inside the house and didn't really leave until afterwards. Um, but yeah, it's definitely different this season. Yeah. Yeah. How, how big is the crew that you're traveling around with? Um, it was eight of us, but now that I'm at X games, there's four of us, but the way we did it was, um, as soon as we arrived in Austria, there was a, we had two separate bubbles of the eight of us. So me, myself, uh, myself. Um, and Tian Collins, Mitchell Davin and Kowakshin, we were all in our own house and our own bubble. And then the coaches, the four of them, were in a separate house and a separate bubble so that once we get to the competition, we are already separated. And if one of them tested positive, then we don't miss out on the competition. And the way we were... I don't know, doing the coaching and snowboarding and everything. We were always wearing masks, have distance between us and only really able to communicate like over FaceTime or texting or just on the hill wearing masks. And yeah, so we, we've got a lot of rules just so that we can make this season happen. And it's definitely different, but it's worth it for sure. Yeah, quite surreal really, isn't it? Do you, I guess you sort of, as well, when you're away from family at this time, you sort of rely on you know your teammates to be quite a good family and I imagine you, you're quite close together? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, we've definitely got a good crew. There's uh, two guys and two girls on the snowboard team now, which is different to usual. I'm usually by myself, but um, I have an addition of cool Wakashima, which is awesome. And then our coaches themselves we're all we've all known each other for a long time and um definitely keep each other entertained and when we're not snowboarding so it's pretty awesome to have that relationship when we're overseas for four months not being able to really socialize with anyone other than ourselves in person so yeah 
And, and just finally, uh, looking ahead to potentially the Winter Olympics next year, uh, obviously, you know, so much of that is up in the air. The, the Summer Olympics this year are up in the air still, but yeah. uh, can you shed some light on what the qualification route to the Winter Olympics next year are, are and if, if it is even uh, been mapped out for you guys? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's been mapped out, um, the road to the Beijing Olympics. It's meant to happen in 2022 in February. Um, our time for qualifying was meant to be 18 months out and our first comp was meant to be uh, a Slopestyle World Cup in Kadrona this last August. But because of COVID, that's all changed. And um, four of our early season comps before, uh, so at the late end of 2020, all were cancelled slash postponed. And so these last two comps that have happened have been the first um, Olympic qualifiers for Big Air and Slope Style. So, yeah, it's pretty surreal in the fact that um, these are the only two comps that have happened and that we only have one more mapped out this season, which is pretty crazy just because these are our Olympic qualifying events and usually during this year we'd have 12 events to go to. And it's hard to say right now um, what's really going to happen because, yeah, our qualifying criteria is, I think, three big air results and five slope style results and your best ones count. And so... Yeah, hard to say, but um, it sounds like it increases the stakes a bit and increases the pressure on, on these events if there's there's fewer of them going around. Yeah, yeah, a lot of pressure, especially because we don't know if they're just going to take the three or four or however many events they can run, or they're going to try and run the normal amount that they can. Um, we'll just have to wait and see, but a lot of pressure riding on this season just because there are so many unknowns. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks uh, so much for coming on. It was such a great moment when you, when you won that silver medal a few years ago. So fingers crossed uh, it all works out uh, for Beijing uh, in 2022. Thank you. All right. Zoe Sadowski, Senate there. Well, here in Brooklyn, Sean Marks is making a real name for himself, having turned the net into one of the NBA's top teams after picking up the likes of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and most recently former MVP James Harden in a blockbuster trade from the Houston Rockets. Well, Alex Schieffer covers the Nets for The Athletic and he joins me now to talk a little bit more about the work that Sean Marks has done as Brooklyn Nets general manager over the past five years. But first of all, Alex, uh, thanks for your time. What have you made of the Nets so far this season? Yeah, you know, they're 11 and 8. I think they've played the most games in the NBA so far, given all the cancellations and the, the condensed schedule. And I, I mean, it, it. I feel like their season's been very reflective of the current times we live in. I mean, they're, they lose Spencer Dinwiddie to an ACL tear in their third game. Uh, you know, they've had Kyrie Irving have his seven-game hiatus away from the team. Kevin Durant and Tyler Johnson both had a quarantine because of contact tracing. And then you look at the big trade they've made. So, I mean, it's, you know, Steve Nash was asked today about the uh, his time as a head coach so far, and he said there's never a dull day. And I, I feel like that's the easiest way to explain the, the Nets this year. Yeah, Sean Marks, the, the New Zealand uh, general manager, pulling off that blockbuster trade of uh, to get James Harden in and really propel this Brooklyn Nets side to, to one of the top title contenders. Do you think that was the right trade to make? I think it was the trade they had to make. You know, I, I don't think they can, you know, turn away or the opportunity to get a guy like James Harden. You're talking about a, a top five player in the league, one of the best offensive players of all time. And 
I mean, it caused a bounty. You look at the amount of, of young stars they gave up along with the draft picks. It, it was a lot. And they're, you know, essentially Sean Marks is putting all of his chips into the center of the table and, and going all in with this current team. So I, I think for some fans, it, it hurt because of the guys like Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, who were on the brink of stardom and came up through the organization and were some of Sean's first draft picks. But I, I think if they were to win with this team, all, all wounds will be healed. Is that sort of just the business of the NBA, really? Like, they had sort of formed an identity with those those guys you mentioned there coming up, but when push comes to shove and this team is now trying to win a championship, they just have to, to cut guys and, and there's going to be tough decisions made to bring in stars. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, Sean had talked before about not wanting to mortgage the future with with a bunch of draft picks and, and then obviously reverse course on it. I think what was the most interesting part about this whole thing was you know, the, the Nets never really got a chance to see what their current roster at the start of the season could do because they pressed the reset button so quickly by trading for James Harden. So they, they could have very well won the whole thing with the roster they had at the beginning of the year. But for whatever reason, they figured that stars over depth was the way to go. Three, this three-headed monster of Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and and James Harden giving them a better shot than than Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and, and this depth of young guys around them so overall would you say then that fans are happy that they've brought in James Harden you know it's been a it's been an up and down start for the for the James Harden era for sure I mean they're uh doing the quick math here I want to say they're about six and they're over 500 with him um my my brain isn't working enough for the math right now but they're they're the I think the the biggest I think there's two things to keep in mind here you know the, the Miami Heat big three didn't figure it all out immediately. You know, they got off to, I think, a nine and eight start and and the Nets are now winning a bit more now. But I, I just think that the it's all about the long term results, right? It's all about what happens in the playoffs. And and fans, I think, are, have been a little impatient, maybe, or, or just, you know, they have this difficult trade to deal with and they don't even see immediate results. You know, I, I think the world has become a microwave society and you've seen some of that reflected in uh, in some of the the early feedback. More broadly speaking, uh, on Sean Marks' tenure as, as Brooklyn Nets GM, uh, coming in in 2016, I think, when this team really didn't have very many top draft picks, um, fans must be pretty happy with the job he's done to turn them into a, a top contender so quickly. Yes. Um, to quote a guy I was talking to that's been around the team a long time, I mean, a few years ago, the Nets won against the Charlotte Hornets on a buzzer beater by Randy Foy, who's out of the NBA now. And the way the, the the arena reacted, you would have thought they won the NBA Finals. And now for them to be the, the talk of the league with these three stars and a potential, you know, can, you know, uh, one of the favorites to win the whole thing. I mean, no one saw this coming. I mean, he's coming up. I want to say he was hired in February 2016 or right around now. So we're, we're coming up on his five-year anniversary. He said when he was hired, he thought he could build a contender in five years. And, and he's delivered on every last drop all while doing this without any first-round picks for the first few years because of the, the ramifications of that Celtics trade they made in, in 2013 to get Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. Does it make it easier when uh, to trade away so many draft picks like he did for James Harden when he's built up a contender with very few draft picks in the past to, to make this current team? I don't know if it gets easier, but I think that he gets the benefit of the doubt this time around, right? I mean, he's done this before, as you said, without any any real assets. And so if he's done it once, you know, he's proven he gets it, he deserves a chance to do it again. I, I think the biggest thing just comes down to how does this trade age, right? I mean, it's it's so immediate. 
you know, what do those draft picks that they traded away become as players? The guys they traded away as, as draft picks the last time are now Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, two of the best players in the NBA. Um, what do those draft picks become? What do Jared Allen and Karis LeVert become if they become Hall of Famers and um, and those draft picks turn out to become very good players and they don't win anything? It might not. It, it's probably not going to matter as much if they win a title or two from all this. I think I think everyone will say it was worth it for sure. So do you think this this two-year window, essentially, or possibly a little bit longer than that with these three stars, is this sort of, I guess, does this devi- define Sean Mark's legacy as Brooklyn Nets general manager? Partly, but not all the way there. I think he'll be known as the guy right now in the immediate context that got them out of the gutter and made them a contender again and, and made for one of the most anticipated, you know, and seasons ever. And, and, you know, I mean, they've never had star power like this or anything. I think the back end of that is, you know, if this trade blows up in their face and they're left with all these draft picks that, they, you know, that or the, the lack thereof that they have to work with, you know, it's kind of like Sean would have left the Nets depending upon his tenure, how he found them. Right. I mean, except that the, this time they have a much better chance to win the whole thing than they did than the original trade with Boston in 2013. You know, those guys were at the end of their tenure in the league. They were in their late 30s. They were ready. They weren't what they used to be. I mean, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving are all in their prime right now. So this is their best shot in a very long time to win the whole thing. And, you know, I, I think naturally he'll be defined by the Harden trade because it was him going all in. But I don't think that should be discounted as to what he's done in the five years already to make them a contender, get them out of the rubble and, and prove to be one of the craftier GMs in the NBA without question. He was well respected uh, coming through the Spurs organization under, under Greg Popovich, despite not being a, a top player for them. Uh, and then in the coaching ranks, having been a general manager for a while, is he well respected around the league? I, I think so. I mean, you know, no one can deny the job he's done with this team to get them to where they are now. And as you said, I mean, I think that he's shown a lot of what he learned in San Antonio with Brooklyn. You know, he has an appetite for international prospects. I don't think I've seen anybody from New Zealand or, or that neck of the woods on their radar. But um, but they do. Well, I guess RJ Hampton played in Australia last year. You guys, you guys are neighbors, right? So no, he played. I, I he how... played in New Zealand last year. He was with the uh, the New Zealand New team Zealand. that plays wow. in the Australian league. That's right. That's right. That that shows you my lack of uh, my lack of international he, geography. Yeah, he um, may trade for Stephen Adams but, at some point. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's been great with international prospects and turning them into something. And then you know, as as we've touched on, I mean, he's he's done more with lower draft picks than than a lot of teams in the league have. So I, I definitely think that there's a lot of respect for that. And just even the the Spurs pedigree came from Greg Popovich loves him. Um, I mean, and Pop's an NBA legend in his own right. So. I definitely think he's very respected, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of GMs that would want to be in his shoes right now of a GM of a team with three stars and a chance to get a ring at the end of the year. And, and just finally, Alex, um, you know there must be tremendous uh, energy in Brooklyn um, following this team. Um, you know they've had quite a few lean years now, and, and the chance now to, to go and chase a title, there must be a lot of energy around uh, around Brooklyn. But it's a bit of a shame that uh, there's no fans in the arena as well, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure the marketing and ticket departments are just sick over this whole thing. I mean, this is the most anticipated season in the history of the franchise, and no one's there to see it right now. You know, I, I think if we can get fans into arenas, I mean, globally by the end of the year, that I think that says a lot for where we are as a, as a nation and, and as a planet with the with the pandemic. But um, but yeah, I, I think that this has been a tough pill to swallow for everybody. You know, I 
even even obviously I'm, I'm objective, but I mean, you, you miss fans at games. You know what I mean? There's just there's you can tell where there's a big spot or there's a big run causing the other team to call a timeout. You know, you can just the, you know, the energy is contagious sometimes. And I just you definitely miss it and you definitely hope you see some semblance of it soon. But again, what that will be and what that looks like, who knows? Fingers crossed. Yeah. The fans are back soon. Alex, thanks so much for your time and thanks for your insight, mate. Thank you. I hope to be better at my geography the next time you have me on. <laughs> no worries. All right. Alex Schieffer from The Athletic there. Tremendous to hear his insight uh, into the work of Sean Marks. And as he says, Brooklyn now, one of the most watched NBA teams around. And you can catch plenty of Brooklyn Nets games on Sky Sport on the ESPN channels. You can also catch the X Games as well on ESPN this weekend. Hopefully Zoe sadowski Senate can pick up uh, a medal uh, there. All right. That wraps up this episode of Kiwis Abroad. I'll be back on Sunday with another episode. Until then, take care.